The following podcast is created and sponsored by High Beam Ministry. Who is there? Special delivery. There was uh, these watcher angels, these fallen watchers that fell with the enemy, and they came to cohabit with the human women in the earth, uh, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and so they took them as wives. And and, uh, the sons of God, we know, are the Benai Elohim. They are actually angelic. And uh, so they produced these offspring of giants, which is called, in the Hebrew, it's the fallen or the nephil, or the nephilim, which is the plural. And so here we see this whole race of high hybrids coming upon the earth and defiling all of mankind with the effort to disqualify all humanity so there could not be a Messiah that could come forth. Abraham serves a meal to God and two visiting angels because they take on a form. Now, if angels can eat a meal, then angels can take on a physical form. They are spirit beings, but there are times in the Old Testament, such as Jacob wrestling with an angel, when angels have taken on human form, holy angels. We can assume also that fallen angels can appear in a human form. There are illustrations of Satan appearing within someone, controlling someone. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Truth Barista, again, I'm so excited because it's Bible Study Day. Yes, we got done with the breakfast rush, and we're prepping for the lunch rush, and I'm taking a breather. Thanks for the coffee. Appreciate it. Very, very tasty. I've been stuck on this whole idea of mysteries, and I know we talked about mysteries in the past, but there's a mystery that is still bothering me because it's something I can't quite get my head around, and that is when the scriptures talk about the Nephilim. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, (laughs) it's one of those things that I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. We should talk about it today. Okay. Now, remember when we were talking about mysteries, a mystery is that which was hidden that is now revealed. Correct. Okay. It's not something that is permanently hidden. Okay. Well, the whole idea of Nephilim are definitely a mystery. It's something that is hidden to many Christians because Mm -hmm. it's such a weird topic because it doesn't fit into our real modern day enlightenment naturalistic thinking. The sad part is is a lot of the church has departed from supernatural understanding of the Bible. And because certain things are just too weird for us enlightened people, we're going to change the meaning or we're going to reinterpret the meaning so it fits into our naturalistic theological mindset as opposed to letting the scripture say exactly what it says. Well, we do know, Truth Barista, that the Nephilim is a people group because the Bible mentions it. So I I guess our underlying reason for doing this is why is the Bible 
Bible mentioning it. Well, if the Bible mentions it, don't you think it's important? To well, I, I hope so. Yes, I, it probably is in some strange way, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a very important topic because it literally goes through the entire Bible, but you have to kind of understand what to look for, and you have to be willing to do some research outside of the Bible into Jewish writings, a pseudepigrapha called the Book of Enoch, to understand what was the Jewish thinking in terms of this particular topic. Enoch, they figure, was written about 200 BC, and it may be older oral tradition that was collected, but that kind of sets where that is. And by the way, the book of Enoch is also referenced by the Bible itself. So, it's important if you're researching the Bible, you have to research these other things as well. Well, what would you say to people listening to say, you know something, I just want to stick to the Bible because I can trust that. But these other references, they could be phony documents or phony stories. I mean, what do you say to people that say, stay away from things that aren't necessarily scripture? Well, you know, that's a great point. If you just stay with God's word, that is good enough. However, it's important for us to understand the context in which the Bible was written. So if we understand the Jewish mindset of the first century, we'll understand Jesus's words better in the gospel, and we'll understand the apostolic writings better. If we understand the way ancient Hebrews thought, we'll understand the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. Is the Constitution enough to run our country today with the Bill of Rights and the amendments and all that? Is it good enough? Well, you hope it would be, but there's too many laws that are passed that supposedly support the Constitution. I would say yes. Okay, but to understand it better, you need to go into the Federalist Papers. You need to read John Locke. You need to understand the philosopher Hobbes. These are the foundational contexts on which the Constitution was crafted. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the Constitution is important, but to understand what it means and how to apply it, you really do need to understand the background. That's what I'm getting at. I think that's wonderful. I wish these booths that we're sitting in have seatbelts because I want to strap myself in because I think we're going to go for a great ride. Okay, now you're going to have to follow me through Okay. Okay. on this. And at certain points, I'm going to stop and let you ask some questions. Okay? Absolutely. Because you will have questions. I'm Mr. Question. And by the way, this may go just beyond our Bible study today. We may have to pick it up next week. So are you ready, sir? I am, sir. Okay, go to Genesis 6 in your Bible there. Okay. Verses 1 through 4. Oh, and I'm going to okay. read through this section here, and then we're going to kind of pick it apart a little bit. Are you ready? I am. Okay, here we go. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. So, that should start giving you an idea where the Nephilim came from. And here's a description. They, the children, were the heroes of old, men of renown. Now, all sorts of questions should be firing up in your head at this point, so let's go through this. What he's talking about in Genesis 6, the problem is this is post-fall. So there is this taint of sin and rebellion that's going through humanity, and this is beginning to spread over the earth throughout the human race. Now, something happens. Who 
appears on the scene that you remember from the scripture? Who's kind of interfacing with the daughters of men? Well, you're saying that uh, it's the Nephilim. No. No. Verse 2, the sons of God. Oh, that's right. Correct. Okay, that word, that phrase is Bene Elohim. Now, this is where things start getting a little creepy for some people. Who are the Bene Elohim? Many people look at that scripture and say, oh, those are angels. Now we need to correct your understanding. There are, according to the Bible, Elohim in heaven. These are spiritual beings. Now, not all Elohim are angels, but all angels are Elohim. Angelos, Melchim, these are messengers that talks more about function than actually the thing itself. So, an Elohim is a spiritual being. It's also another name that's used for God himself. But there are spiritual beings that God created in heaven. We mistakenly think all of these are just angels. No, these are spiritual beings, some of which are angels. Are you tracking with me? I am. And usually when we think of a messenger, isn't that the name for an angel? Exactly. Yeah. So, So, I mean, but that's angel. That's not these other beings. Yeah. Gabriel is a spiritual being and he serves as a messenger. So he's in an angelic function. There are angels and, according to some tradition, archangels, which are big supreme beings, you know, like Gabriel and Michael. Michael is a a spiritual being who protects. He's the guardian protector of Israel, according to the scriptures. Are you following me? I am following you. Okay. Now, here's where things get weird. Who are the sons of God? Well, some people, because this is such a weird scripture, say the sons of God is the godly line of Seth that was created after Cain killed Abel and Cain was driven out, Adam and Eve have Seth. Okay, so there's that. And then the daughters of men, hmm, since it's not a godly thing, it must be an ungodly thing. Okay, those are the women of Cain's line. So now you have the men of Seth's line marrying the women of Cain's line, but how are they producing these weird beings, these Nephilim, these mighty men of renown? Well, that's the sanitized version. Let's look at what scripture says. If you go to Job chapter 1, and I shall read that to you, there's an interesting verse here. It says, Job chapter 1, verse 6, One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, or an adversary, also came with them. Now, wait a minute. If the sons of God are humans descended from Seth, what are they doing in heaven talking to God? Well, it doesn't make sense in that context it at doesn't. all. They have to be spiritual beings. So if we let the Bible interpret the Bible, the sons of God are spiritual beings. They are not human descendants. Are you following me so far? I am. I am. I'm I'm not quite sure yet who they are, but they're not human, and they are spiritual. That's as far as I'm getting. All right. Okay. Now, I'm going to take another step here, and one of them was Satan. What was Satan doing? God says, where have you come from? And he said, from roaming through the earth, the adversary Satan answered him, and from walking around on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered Job? No one on earth is like him. So, this adversary of God is a spiritual being who's walking around observing the earth. Now I'm going to take the next jump. When you go to the book of Daniel, there's an account where King Nebuchadnezzar is bragging about everything he has and how great he is and whatever. 
at that point, God passes judgment on him, and a spiritual being comes down in this vision to strike Nebuchadnezzar insane for a period of time. This being in the Aramaic is called an ear, I-Y-R, which means a watcher, somebody who is watching over the affairs of mankind. So, all I'm trying to say here is, if you're following me, there is a group of supernatural beings that God works with, one serves as an adversary, we call him Satan, Hasatan, and in Daniel's version, there is a group of these called watchers who oversee the affairs of mankind. Now, most of the time, those watchers in most Christian understanding would be angels, not watchers. Right, but that's not the case. Angels are messengers. They are servants of God. To Hebrews talks about this. They serve humanity. Uh, angels popped up with God at Abraham's tent. So it's weird. These supernatural beings evidently can take on physical characteristics. It says when Daniel encountered Gabriel, Daniel falls out in a faint. The angel Gabriel touched him. A spirit being cannot touch a physical being unless somehow a spiritual being can take on a physical form. Are you tracking with me? I am. I want to come back to the idea of Satan and the sons of God, okay. or as you're saying, watchers, went before God. Now, are they for or against God, for or against Satan? If you go through Scripture, you will find out these sons of God, these spiritual beings, also referenced by the same type of name as God, Elohim, these spiritual beings work with God, and they also rebelled against, some of them rebelled against God. Here you have Satan, the adversary. We talk about fallen angels. Well, that's referencing some of these Elohim who rebelled against God, and God threw them out of heaven, out of his counsel. If you really want to read more about this, Dr. Michael Heiser has two fantastic books. One's called Unseen Realm, where he builds this case right from scripture that says, don't read into the scripture. Let it speak for itself. And then he has another one called Reversing Hermon. Talks about both of these things. So let's bring it back to what we have because it's so confusing. First of all, Actually, I, I need a cup of coffee. So I was going that? to make a case that we should probably just pause for a moment because this is some pretty interesting stuff. But to start things off, let's take a trip to everybody's favorite hangout where the Java's hot as lava and the mocha is no joker. <laughs> oh, the double latte, please. <sighs> Make mine a macchiata, a double on the double. Say, uh, fella, uh, what is it with everybody? Why do they drink so much coffee? Mm. Hey, Teresa, like this cat wants to know why we drink so much coffee. Mm. Coffee! 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 <laughs> <laughs> Way down among Brazilians, coffee beans grow by the billions, so they've got to find those extra cups to fill. They've got an awful lot of coffee in Brazil. Hi, this is Pastor Jay Christensen, your truth barista. I want to thank you for coming here to High Beam Ministry. And in this ministry, we have a plethora of great things for you to explore. Obviously, you're listening to this podcast, and we want to thank you for that. But hey, sidle on over to the other page and check out the Frothy Thoughts blog. And we have a new thing coming, a book. 
It's called Frosty Thoughts from Your Truth Barista, and it's the first cup. And we'll have more books coming throughout this year based on our blog. Plus, you're going to enjoy some new teachings we'll be posting on the Feasts of the Lord and their prophetic significance with Jesus' first and second coming, and a wonderful video study on the book of Daniel. So those teachings will be coming up this year as well. So we want to invite you to contact us at highbeamministry at gmail.com if you have any questions. Love to answer them. But just keep coming back. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the articles. You'll be notified when new material drops. Thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks for the coffee. Okay, here's the summary of what we've talked about so far. In Genesis 6, 1 through 4... The sons of God looked at the daughters of men and said, Whoa, baby, I want me some of that. Okay, so they come down and they start having relationships. That's what it means by Mary. They start having sexual relationships with human beings, these women, and they produce these things called Nephilim, which comes from the Hebrew root word to fall. These are fallen ones, and they happen to be men of renown, great warriors, very strong, etc. So I'm a little confused. So what you're saying is the Son of God, these sons of God, I should say, are watchers. So it seems to me they're on the good side. They're watching. But so all of a sudden, they're coming down and messing around with women they shouldn't mess around with. Okay, now to get more insight on what that means, now you have to go to the book of Enoch. Now, this is what the book of Enoch says about these watchers. They looked and they decided that they wanted in on the action. And I'm not being crude there. What they were seeing is humanity multiplying and humanity is creating images after itself because God said, make babies, right? And expand my kingdom on earth. So they looked at what was going on on earth and they found these human women very beautiful and they wanted to have a relationship with them as the human males were having a relationship with them. And I'll explain where this comes from. They were able to take a physical form and actually produce offspring by these women. Now, this is what the book of Enoch says on it that's really, really weird. Okay, and Samyaz, being their leader, said to them, I fear that perhaps you will not consent that this deed should be done. He's talking about descending from heaven and coming to earth and having sexual relations with these women, and I alone will become responsible for this great sin. But they all responded to him, let us all swear an oath and bind everyone among us by a curse, not to abandon this suggestion, but to do the deed. Then they all swore together and bound one another by the curse, and they were Altogether, 200. And they descended into Ardos, which is the summit of Mount Hermon. That's the mountain on the tip, northern tip of Israel. And they called the mount, for they swore and bound one another by a curse. Now, here's what's weird. It actually gives you the names of some of these, but I won't go through the names. And it says here, And they took wives unto themselves, and everyone chose one woman for himself, and they began to go unto them, and they taught them magical medicine, incantations, the cutting of roots, taught them about plants. Some of these other watchers taught the people the art of making swords and knives. There's warfare, and shields and breastplates, and he showed them their chosen ones' bracelets, decorations, how to put on makeup and make them incite lust amongst them, the beautifying of the eyelids, all sorts of precious stones. They taught them the cutting of roots and astrology. So what we're seeing in this picture that Enoch is painting is the watchers came down on Mount Hermon, 
They started interfacing with humanity. They started interfacing with the women, let's put it that way. And in the midst, they started teaching humanity more effective warfare, how to incite lust. In fact, some of Enoch describes cross-species, you know, weird kind of synthesizing and even teaching them things like how to perform an abortion. Isn't that weird? Well, I think it's very fascinating, but to be honest with you, Truth Barista, I'm seeing this as sort of a a mythological, almost like the Greek gods and, and goddesses, because I can't imagine God sitting on his throne looking at these spiritual beings that have an advantage over the humans, and they're taking advantage of these women, they're taking advantage of humanity, and they're doing things that probably they shouldn't do. I'm wondering what's going through God's head. You are so on target and it amazes me because you haven't really studied this but you're picking up on it because myths in Greek and Roman and Babylonian Sumerian all build on the truths of the things that actually the Bible reveals this is the mystery revealed when you look at many of the myths of the Greeks and the Romans it talks about Zeus coming down interfacing having intercourse with a woman and producing a Hercules a hybrid between a god small g, and a human woman. And you find that many myths, ancient myths, really reflect this same biblical truth of what happened. A supernatural being came down and created a hybrid. And isn't it interesting, even Genesis says, these became mighty warriors, men of renown. So you have your Hercules. The rest of the guys kind of escape my mind, but you get the point, right? Well, we always think, though, these are just, this is mythology. This is not biblical truth or fact. It's mythology. Right. It's storyline that ancient cultures believed in, but it's not necessarily true. That's right. But when you look at even the Chaldean stories and the Mesopotamian stories, they have a flood. And in the flood, they have a man who escapes the flood by being in a boat. You look at the Bible and the Bible says, this is the truth. This is the guy's name. And of course, if Noah was the one who survived the flood in the Fertile Crescent and the worldwide flood, came to rest in the mountains of Ararat, he would be the most famous person on earth at the time these empires are rising. Well, that would be true. Okay, so these empires would tell stories, but as the stories go through the generations, it's like playing post office. The transmission would start to get corrupted and fantastic stories and weirdness gets attached to it. Now, that's why we have to go back to the Bible. The Bible says some of these watchers came down, did this, created these Nephilim and these giants. Not only were they there at that time, but the text says, and afterward. That's really confusing to a lot of people because everything dies in the flood, correct? Well, that's what we are taught, yes. Okay, so if these giant Nephilim-type creatures show up after the flood, this type of thing might be happening again. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what these Nephilim were like, okay? And we can pick this up on next week's study, too. We'll kind of finish here. Okay, if you go back into the actual text of Enoch and others, these giants were mighty. They were huge. And I'll give you some examples of it historically on some writings here. But they had voracious appetites. They were cannibalistic. They were bloodthirsty. They were known to have six fingers and toes. They had double rows of teeth, according to Enoch. They were immensely tall and strong. And not only that, they were not nice. They were extremely vicious. They were evil. Now, think of this. You have a fallen humanity before Noah. 
Evil is increasing on earth because they're getting farther away from God's ways. So now you take that unrestrained animalistic drive, now add a supernatural component to it, and you've got these mega-death creatures who literally stand head and shoulders above many of humanity, and they're actually driving, becoming a driving force of evil in the world and driving the corruption even further and farther and more intense than this world has ever seen to the point where God says, I have got to stop it here or all humanity will be corrupted and wiped out. Well, I am just blown away. Truth Barista, I mean, absolutely blown away. I don't know what to say. It, it sounds like it's too good to be true, or it's too fantastic that it's almost like a Star Wars episode. Now, why is this important? Because, going back to the Noah story, it says that Noah was perfect in God's eyes. That word for perfect is the Hebrew word tamim, which means he was unstained in all ways. He was perfect. So, if there is this physical aberration going through humanity because of this corruption. If there's a moral, ethical corruption also going through humanity, somehow Noah's family was left untarnished. And so God says, I'm going to keep this guy. I'm going to start over with this family, but I'm going to wipe everything out. Why is that important? Well, we'll talk about that next time. Well, and that's very interesting, Truth Rista, because I want to know, is the Nephilim, I mean, you've painted a really interesting picture, and could it be symbolic, less becoming, like the book of Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism there. Could the Nephilim be a symbolism for something? Because as we will talk about next week, as in the days of Noah, and these Nephilim were around, how are they going to reappear today? Ah, because it does say in Genesis 6, they were there before the flood and afterward, will they show up again? That's a great question. Are they real? Well, there are a lot of historical records of giant skeletons being found around the world. We'll, we'll talk about that in the next time, and so, I'll actually give you some examples. So we have to wait. You we gotta have, wait? I gotta wait. Okay, well, thanks, Truth Barista. Our culture is confused, and that confusion is spilling over into everything today. God is never confused, and those who know Him and obey Him are never confused. Confusion is a cause of not knowing the truth, but here on this program, we untangle our culture's confusion with the truth. Thanks for listening. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through RSS feed. Go to our website, look for the RSS button, press it, and then enter your email. You'll be notified when a new podcast drops. Thanks for listening.